Good morning. Take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Church, these are strange times. Seems like everything is different. The things that we have held most sacred, the things that we've seen as fixtures in our lives, nothing is the same. Schools are closed, businesses are shuttered, sporting events are canceled, we can't go on the inside of a restaurant anymore, investments are down, people are sick, and Easter Sunday is online only. Who would have imagined this just, just a few weeks ago? In fact, had somebody made an announcement on television to our nation on New Year's Day that in just a few weeks, by the middle of April, that all of life would come unraveled in America, none of us would have believed that person. We would have dismissed that person as a fool. Yet, here we are. And this may be our new normal for a while. Now, I don't know any more than the next guy, but that's sort of the point. Uh, none of us know, right? Any kind of prognostication people are making about what this is going to be like in two weeks or four weeks or two months, everybody's guessing. These are uncharted waters we don't know. And consequently, things could get worse. Things could get much worse. Now, I'm not trying to incite fear. I'm trying to make a point. Life is fragile. Uh, life is fragile in, in every way. We've learned that if we've not learned anything else over the last two weeks. Life is fragile. Our finances are fragile. Our freedom is fragile. Just the ability to go where we want to go and do what we want to do, freedom is fragile. Our health is, is fragile. And church, life is not just fragile because of the COVID-19 virus. Life has always been fragile. We haven't, we haven't learned that life is fragile in the last two weeks. We've been reminded that life throughout our lives has, has been fragile. If you don't believe that life was fragile before the novel coronavirus, then just ask some parents who've had to uh, bury a son or a daughter who's died in a tragic accident, and, and they'll tell you that life has always been fragile. Just talk to a single mom with three children uh, who has just lost her job because it's gone overseas, and she'll tell you that life has always been fragile. Talk to, uh, uh, to a woman who's just lost her husband who had a heart attack with no, no forewarning, and she'll tell you life has always been fragile. Talk to a, a middle-aged woman who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, and she'll, she'll tell you life is fragile. Life is breakable. Life is unpredictable. Life is hazardous. Nothing is guaranteed. In fact, I was reading some statistics just this last week. I, I thought I would share with you. Uh, did you know that over 100 people every single day die in car accidents in America? 100 people a day. Life is fragile. Did you know that 125 people a day so despair of life that they end it. They commit suicide every single day in America. Life is fragile. And even if God were to wipe every virus off the face of the planet tomorrow, 
Even if God were to give us the next day a cure and a vaccine uh, for the coronavirus, life would still be fragile. It's like we're in a ship, in a storm, in the middle of the sea, and the waves are buffeting us, and the wind is blowing, and we're being knocked around violently, and we don't even know what direction we're facing. How can we get some bearing? How can we find the solid ground? We're in a storm. We're in a storm. So you know, this uh, COVID-19 storm, and it is a storm, it's affecting all of us. In, in different ways, it's affecting us. It's a storm. But there are other storms that are just as real. Some of you are in other storms as well. There's the storm of a failing marriage. There's the storm of unemployment. There's the storm of having your children rebelling against what you have taught them and what you expect of them. There's the storm of a terminal illness. We face so many storms. Life is fragile. So where do we find our true north? Where do we find the anchor that holds the steady ground? Where can we find that one sure thing that we can grab hold of that'll get us through the storm? Well, the answer, of course, is the resurrection of Christ. This is Easter. That's what we're focused on. But I want you to see from Scripture this morning exactly how the resurrection is that true north, how it is that one sure thing that we can hold on to. So let's look. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, we're going to begin reading in verse 36. I want to set the scene here because uh, the disciples, when we start this passage, they're going through a storm, and I want you to see the parallels between what we're going through and what they were going through. So you go back four days prior uh, to the passage that we're going to read today, and everything was going great, it seemed. Uh, the disciples were with Jesus. Jesus was with the disciples. Everybody was getting along. Jesus, it seemed that his popularity had, uh, was reaching new heights. Uh, Jesus was performing miracles. He was teaching. People were interested in learning. These disciples loved Jesus. They saw him as a friend. They saw him as a teacher. But they also saw him as their Savior and Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But then everything came unraveled just so quickly. The next day, Jesus was arrested. None of them saw that coming. And, and, and to make that even worse, the betrayer that led the soldiers to Jesus was one of the disciples. They, they would have had no explanation for that. And so they were confused and they were scared. They must have thought this is something that will get straightened out in short order, but it didn't. Jesus, over the next few hours, uh, was, uh, was run through a number of just um, scam trials, just very quickly. And there were these false accusations, and Jesus was sentenced to die. He was marched up to Calvary, was nailed to a cross where he hung, and he suffered, and he bled. And the disciples must not have understood any of it. Uh, here is their, their friend and their confidant, but... Here is their Lord and their Savior. They had seen him perform miracles. It seemed like nothing was too hard for Jesus, but now they see him on a cross and he's dying. And then Jesus did die and they, they buried him in a tomb. The disciples were confused and, and they must have been scared. 
They must have thought, the people that just came after Jesus, what if they come after us next? What if we're the next ones on a cross? And so Friday would have been a long night. Saturday would have been a long day. And then Sunday morning, Sunday morning, something happened that brought even more confusion. They were all together. And then some of the disciples began to report that they had seen Jesus and he was alive. Now you would think that that would bring comfort, but I think if we, if we consider it closely, we, we'll realize that no, that doesn't bring comfort, it just brings more confusion. I mean, we're so familiar with the resurrection that we hear that and we think, well, of course Jesus was alive, but that's not how they, how they understood things. They thought he was dead and, and dead for good. Imagine if somebody that you have cared for and somebody you have loved and you went to their funeral, they died and you, and you went to their funeral and you grieved over them and then somebody today said, hey, I saw your whoever, your, your dad, your wife, your, your child, I saw them down at the store this morning, I saw them. That wouldn't comfort you, that would, that would cause you stress, that might anger you, it would reopen the wounds of grief and, and so that's what's going on. All of that. They're in the middle of a storm. So Luke chapter 24, verse 36, in the middle of the storm, here's what happens. It says, as they were saying these things, they're talking among themselves, he, Jesus, stood in their midst and he said to them, peace to you. So Jesus just shows up. We don't know exactly how. Uh, if he just popped into the room, if he walked through a wall, if he opened a door. But there's Jesus. And he says, peace, but it didn't bring much peace. Look at the next verse. It says, but they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. And so they just don't know what's going on. And so they had been to Jesus' funeral, but here it appears that Jesus is right there with them. And they're startled. Look at verse 38. Jesus asks a question that almost seems humorous. He says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? I'm thinking, Jesus, I know why they're troubled. A dead man just walked in. I know why they're doubting. A dead man that they, that they had seen die and buried has just, has just walked into the room. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Jesus begins to give them some evidence that he is who he, who he seemed to be, that it was Jesus, flesh and blood. He shows his scars. He shows that he's a real solid person. Then he goes on to give some more evidence. Verse 41, but while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, there's three interesting words there. I hope you caught them. They were amazed. They had disbelief and they had joy. There's all kind of confusion going on. It says, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, what was that about? Well, it's just one more piece of evidence that Jesus uh, had risen from the grave. Now, I think it's interesting that the Bible says that we are to accept Jesus by faith. But here we learn that it's not faith without evidence, but it's faith supported by evidence. So Jesus gave the disciples some evidence 
that supported their faith. Now that's important for us because God says that we should accept Christ by faith, but not a blind faith. It is a supported faith. It is a faith built on evidence. In fact, and we've talked about this in Easter's past, there is so much evidence for the resurrection of Christ that it is amazing. In fact, this is one of the most attested historical events ever. Somebody has written that even according to the standards and the laws of American jurisprudence, that there is enough evidence that Jesus Christ lived and died and was resurrected that you could prove it in a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt. There's all kinds of evidence. Jesus gave the disciples here evidence, and Jesus has left evidence for us. And so if you're interested in that evidence, that's a good thing. And so I've preached on that. You can go back perhaps in some of our uh, archives on the webpage and find some of that. But let me recommend a book to you. Uh, this is a book that I've recommended to hundreds of people. Uh, it's by Norman Geisler. And the title of the book is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's an odd title. But in this book, he goes through some of the basic verifiable evidence this is a well-researched, well-footnoted book. He goes through the evidence that supports the claim that Jesus rose from the grave. So we see here that Jesus enters the room in the middle of the storm. Uh, the people are confused. Jesus gives them some evidence. And then verse 44, it says, He told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So Jesus told them here that he had already communicated to them that he was going to die, and then in three days he would come back to life. This was not new information. This was God's plan from the beginning. And so he's referring specifically to something he said that is recorded in Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22. So let me just read this to you. It is necessary, these are the words of Christ to his disciples, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. And so Jesus reminds them, you may be confused, but I told you this, not so long ago, this has always been my plan, to die on the cross and to, and to be resurrected from the grave. But he mentions not only that he had told them with his words, he mentioned that this is something that was found in the Old Testament. And, and it is. I'll give you some, some examples. Isaiah 53, 5, this was about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Listen, but he was pierced because of our rebellion crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. So even then in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the Savior would come and he would die to pay the penalty for our sins. And then the resurrection also was prophesied. One place is Psalm 16:10 that says, for you will not abandon me to Sheol that's the place of death. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. 
Now, they believed in those days that the body would begin to decay three days after death. And so that's sort of code word for three days. What that passage says is that, that Jesus would not stay dead, but before the, before the third day or on the third day, that he would come back to life. What we see from this is that it was God's plan from the beginning to demonstrate his holiness and justice and grace and love and to rescue us from a fragile life by the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So let's, let's read the last couple of verses. Verse 46, he says, He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So he said, there's a reason for this, that, that I would come and pay the penalty for sins by dying on the cross, and that I would come back to life, and that this would be proclaimed uh, to the four corners of the world. Aren't we thankful uh, for that? Now, that's the resurrection. How now does the resurrection of Jesus help us in the middle of the storm? How does the resurrection of Jesus become that one sure thing that we can hold on to? Well, let me share with you. From these verses, three ways the resurrection uh, is, that, uh, is that steady ground that gives us hope and strength in the middle of the storm. Number one, death is defeated. The resurrection tells us that death is defeated. Now, Death is the thing that we universally fear, right? Nobody wants to die. Uh, death, we know from Scripture, is the consequence of sin. We have sinned. The Bible says in Genesis 2.15 that if you sin, you die. It says it again in the New Testament, Romans uh, 6.23, if you sin, you die. And so we've sinned. Sin has brought death. None of us want to die. And really, death is worse than death because the Bible teaches that God has created us to live forever somewhere. And so death does not just mean that we cease to exist. No, death means that we are separated from God. It is an eternal death. It is an eternal torment because of our sins. And so, consequently, we fear death. So what does it mean then when we say that the resurrection tells us that death is defeated. What does that mean? In some practical sense, what does that mean? Well, let me explain it. So life comes from the Father. Life comes from God. He is the source of life. But we are separated from the Father. We are separated from God because while God is holy and righteous and pure, we are guilty of sin. And so that sin separates us from God, and it separates us from the source of life, and that's why we have death, eternal death. So how is death defeated? When Jesus came and he lived a sinless life, Jesus, the Son of God and God himself, lived a sinless life, and then he died in our place, he paid our penalty for sin on the cross, and he defeated death. He conquered death on the cross. Now, how do we know he conquered death? How do we know that death has been defeated? Well, that's a good question. Uh, if, you, 
If you were standing at the mouth of a cave and there was a bear in that cave, a big grizzly bear, and so you're going to send somebody in to, to kill the bear. So got some, some big muscle-bound man and he's got his hunting knife and you send him into the cave. And so he goes in and he disappears in the darkness and you wonder what's going to happen. And you can hear some sounds, you hear the scuffling, you hear some grunts and, and then there's just silence. Did the man kill the bear or did the bear kill the man? You don't know, right? You just know whatever, it's over. You don't know until what? Until the man walks out of the cave. Then you know he killed the bear. Listen, Jesus died on the cross to kill, to destroy sin, uh, death, to defeat death. But we don't know if he was successful. We don't know on Friday. We don't know on Saturday. But on Sunday, Jesus walks out of the tomb. He is alive. Death is defeated. Uh, this, is, this is explained beautifully in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there's a long passage there. Let me just read to you a few verses. Uh, these are some verses that they would sing. This was a part of their, of their worship time. Verse 54 says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 55 says, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Well, let's talk about that. The sting of death is sin. That means the sting which brings death is sin. Just like a bee sting brings pain, Sin's sting brings death because when we sin, it separates us from the source of life. It brings eternal death. Now, how does sin have that power? Well, he tells us here. He says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. So when he says the law here, he's talking about how we are right with God. So the, the Bible gives us these laws, gives us these rules. These are the things we must do in order to be right with God. The problem is we've blown it. We've violated the law. We have, we have committed sin by violating the law. The law gave sin its power because now we're separated from God and sin brings death. But Jesus has defeated death. Sin no longer brings death for those people who are children of God because for us, Christ has defeated death. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear anything because death has been defeated. And so when we go through calamity, when we go through storms, when there are uncertainties, we can have this assurance because of the resurrection. For me, death has been defeated. For you, if you're a Christ follower, death has been defeated. I can be fearless in this life because of the resurrection, because it tells me death has been defeated. Now, there's a second way that the resurrection helps us in times of storm, and it is that it tells us that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Now, we hear so many things today that just are not reliable. Uh, through the centuries, people have come and claimed all kinds of things about God. False religious leaders have claimed to be the way 
to have a right relationship with God, the way to have eternal life. How do we know if any of those people are telling the truth? I mean, I could go down the street and I could start some cult and I could tell people that the way to have eternal life is to worship a box of Cheerios. Well, how would you know if I were telling the truth or not? So there have been all kind of people making all kind of claims through history. How do we know if any of it is true? Not just in history, but even today, people are making all kinds of predictions about the coronavirus and about the economy. And how do we know if those people are true? You can find an expert that'll say just about anything today. How do we know if those people are true? And further, there are all kinds of people giving directions for our lives to tell us how to be happy and how to be content and how to overcome depression and how to be stress-free and how to be fulfilled and and you go to the bookstore today, if you turn the television on today, there's, there's no end to all the advice that we find. How do we know if any of that is true? Well, and we should sub, subject the Bible to the same questions. When the Bible gives us instructions for how to have a godly marriage, a good marriage, how do we know that the Bible is speaking the truth? When the Bible tells us that if we invest our lives in God's word, that we will have true peace, how do we know that that's true? When the Bible tells us that if we will be generous and sacrificial in our giving, that we will reap a harvest, how do we know that that's really true? When the Bible says that if we will abandon everything and serve him instead of serving ourselves, that's when we'll find the greatest satisfaction. How do we know that that's true? When the Bible says if we will repent of our sin and we'll follow Christ, that we will have eternal life, how do we know that it's the truth? Well, here's how. Jesus Christ said these things and Jesus Christ predicted that he was going to die. And then Jesus Christ died in just the way he had predicted. And then, just as he has predicted, in three days, Jesus comes back alive. He is risen. And so we know because of that, that is proof, that is evidence, that is the guarantee that everything he has said and everything he has stood behind, it is true. God keeps his word. Now, you may call me a simple man when I say this, and, and if that's the case, I'll, I'll be a simple man. But if, if somebody could come along and they could predict their death and they could die and be genuinely dead for days, and then they could bring themselves back to life, listen, whatever they say next, I'm in. Whatever they tell me to do, I'll do it. What, what, whatever they tell me to believe, I'll believe it. Because if, if you have the power over death, then you have, you have all power. You keep your word. You can be trusted. So the resurrection tells us that when we're in the middle of the storm, what should we do? We should turn to the only one for whom we can be certain that he speaks the truth. And that's the Lord. That's God's word. That's the promises that God gives to us because when Jesus came out of the grave, it was proof that God keeps his word. That's what the resurrection tells us. Number three, the resurrection tells us that there is a new hope. Now, there are certain seasons in life that we think of as 
an opportunity for a new beginning. Uh, maybe for you, it's New Year's Day. So many of us, we make new resolutions, we resolve to live different ways, and that's a, that's a new beginning. Uh, for some people, it's the start of school. For some people, uh, it is turning 30 or turning 50, and, and we say, I'm going to live differently now. I, I want my life to count in a different way. They're just seasons of new beginnings. But nothing says new beginning more than Easter. When Jesus came out of the tomb, that was a true new beginning. It was a new beginning for the church and for the work of the Holy Spirit. And listen, Easter means that you can have a new beginning. Easter means that we can have a fresh walk with Christ. Easter means that our sins can be forgiven. Easter means that we can be children of God. Won't you let this Easter be a new beginning for you? Let this be the day that God washes you of all of your sins, and it's a new beginning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to the place in your life where you understood that you were guilty of sin and your only hope was Jesus Christ, then today, trust what Jesus did for you and, and surrender your life to him. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ and say, God, okay, I need you to make some changes. I need you to fix me. But most of all, I need you to forgive me and love me and adopt me as your child. And Jesus will, the Father will save you. This could be a new beginning. Maybe you've been walking with Christ for a lot of years, but you need a new beginning. You need a new beginning in reading your Bible and praying. You need a new beginning in ministry or a new beginning in your attitude toward others and toward life. Let Easter be a new beginning. People are walking around today like the world is coming to an end. It's not. God is in control. Jesus is risen. And we can count on that. S.M. Lockridge uh, was an African-American preacher of a previous generation. Uh, he pastored a church here in Texas uh, for a while, but spent much of his time ministering in California. Lockridge was a master of preaching. And he's most well known for a description of Jesus that he gave that is just so compelling that many Preachers have adapted uh, what he said and used it in their own sermons. I want to share with you something he said about Easter. Uh, I can't say it with the same cadence that he said it. His cadence just makes these words come alive. But I want to share the words with you. Because Lockridge compares the chaos of Friday, crucifixion day, when there was disappointment and confusion and fear, with the hope of Resurrection Day, Friday versus Sunday. And I think this will encourage us. Lockridge said, it's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know 
that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus, robed him in scarlet, crowned him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world is winning. People are sinning. And evil is grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. Then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. And church, Sunday is here. He is risen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Remind us of the reality of the resurrection in the middle of our storm that death has been defeated, that you can be trusted, and Easter brings a new beginning. And let this be something that calms us, strengthens us, assures us, and sets us on a new path for your glory and for your honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.